0: Good afternoon. Are you all feeling chipper? Yeah. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Ready to study? Explore? Great. I've put up on the board, or had uh, Jamie put up on the board, uh, four monsters. Eating, sleeping, breathing, and sex. Why do they monsters? Because they sit on your shoulders f- throughout your whole lifetime because for a person who doesn't know what to do with these, they're monsters. They overtake you. They gobble you up. They become bigger than life. And the reason I'm going to to, uh, um, say some things about these is because you can do all the meditative work in the world you want, but if these four aspects of everybody's life are not, let's use the word, equilibrated, worked through, sorted out, then the subtle energies, the refined energies of your being that throw your states of mind all over the place are going to have a very, very hard time settling. So you may go into a meditation retreat and if you haven't actually uh, smoothed out the eating, the sleeping, the breathing, and the sexuality, you can put sexuality, actually, or re- reproductive energy, sexuality, if that hasn't been smoothed out, then no amount of meditation is really going to help that much. Yeah, it's going to be bouncing all over the place. So I'm going to make a few recommendations, which are just general recommendations, nothing specific to anybody in the room. Just give up all of them. Go <laughs> all of them. But let me just, I think I actually spoke about this last, last year, but I want to um, tell you a story which is actually a fairly realistic story that I observe over and over again. When people enter into a so-called spiritual path of some type, I watch the same sort of things happen, especially with young ones. The body, because of our culture, the body is suspect. The mind is suspect, too, but especially the body is very, very suspect. Therefore, the first thing to do, if you want to be spiritual, is you fiddle with the body. Because the body isn't cooperating. It has sensations and feelings and emotions and all this sort of thing. So what do we do? We, the first thing people do is they control food intake, oral. They do it really quickly. So I've had people come up to me and say, so, I need to be a vegetarian, right? Or, so, uh, I can eat chicken but no beef. Or, uh, it's okay to eat fish? You know, this whole thing. Not realizing that all these prescriptions may not be appropriate for that person. It's not about a special diet. Hmm? And then, of course, they want to fiddle with the sleeping. So, so I only sleep four hours a night, right? Go, no, not necessarily. Would you like to? <laughs> well, no, not really. But I hear I have to. Or is it, you tell, is it five hours or six hours? Or what, what is the special number of hours I'm supposed to sleep? Who cares? Hmm? Do you wake up restful? That's what's important. Yes? And they always want to fiddle around with the breathing. So show me the special breathing techniques. Right? Something. Something. They always want to fiddle around with the breathing as if that's going to do it. And then eventually they get around to sexuality. You know those special uh, secret <clears throat> secret sexual uh, tantric techniques? Could you... Explain those, you see? Always, always. So, these are called the four monsters because they're always going to arise in consciousness as something to fiddle with. Hello. Hi. That's right. Do you have a chair? You can pull up a... That seems, there's someone sitting there. It's, uh, it's Harvey. And it's about a six foot high rabbit. No. So the fiddling starts very early, right away, and, they, and, and you know, of course, you read in the books this diet, that diet, this technique, that technique, you know? but not realizing that. Not realizing that a what someone else has developed in India or in China or in Japan, which is culturally appropriate, is not appropriate to you as a Westerner, or appropriate to a twenty-year-old or a forty-year-old. So, what I'm going to say to you is that all those four things you're going to have to go on a journey and work them all out for you. For you. And people's heads are so filled today with so many ideas of what is the right diet? What is the right way to sleep? There is no right way to sleep. The way you find out how you sleep best is you keep experimenting until you wake up rested. Then you know you've slept well. (laughs) Okay? How do you know you're breathing well? You're at ease. You're at ease and you have lots of energy. And your mind feels bright and you feel alive, even if you're tired. That's called breathing. What's, What's the right way to have sexuality? It's easy. Don't no I'm just
1: kidding.
0: kidding. You knew I was gonna say it, didn't you? You knew I had to say that. What's the right way? There is no right way. It's called loving kindness. If it's loving and it's compassionate, it's aware, it's the right way. What 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 is so what is so complicated? But these, these four aspects of life loom heavy in people's minds, and especially in the neurotic mind. The normally neurotic mind makes a mess of all of these. These four things are always being altered and fiddled with. Should I use that word unconscious? Nah, no. By some aspect of consciousness. Are always being fiddled with, whether you know it or not, because they have to do with the core features of an organism having to be alive. Hmm? And the libertive life sorts out those four. You're going to have to find out what's appropriate for you, not what some yogi did a thousand years ago. Or what they do in a Zen. It's not like a bird. You know. We have birdies over there. You see that? So I wanted to raise that with you, just to, to say, be aware that, that people that enter into meditative spiritual lives are often wanting to fiddle with these, which have nothing to do with liberation. Your diet... Now, let's say that you are eating food that's completely inappropriate for your body. How do you know that? Pardon? Your body will tell you if you have enough awareness. And many people don't have enough sensitivity to know because they project onto what they feel they should have even though that food is actually not doing what that is. This is a very tough one to figure out. I know from personal experience, this is one of the hardest to figure out. What is actually appropriate food for this body? Not that body, this body. What brings you energy? What brings you vitality? and cutting through all the views that your friends, teachers, books have about what you should or shouldn't be eating. You follow? And this becomes very, very important when you're doing meditative retreats so so that when you start your day, you're not eating something that actually means you have to clear that for four hours because your energies are sunk. It actually gives you vitality. That takes a lot of experimentation and sometimes requires really experienced practitioners of some healing art to actually help you with that. Either Ayurvedic, Chinese medicine, uh, homeopathy, something like that, that can actually give you some guidance because sometimes what we do is we trick ourselves. Hmm? Say, oh my God, you know, I'm going to go on a full beef diet. I feel so good. You know, or I'm going to cut out all meat. I just feel so good. But actually, you know the placebo effect? Yeah, The placebo effect. Watch for the placebo effect for everything. Just be careful. So, if you're not eating in accordance with you, what you need, and you're trying to meditate, you're going to find out that you're going to be struggling a lot with even having reasonable concentration. You're going to say, oh, it's psychological. No, actually, a lot of it may be that you're not sleeping well and you're not eating well, and you're not even breathing anymore. And your sexuality, or your, not just sexual fantasy, but sexuality is all over the place. Yeah? With those four things out, actually meditating is very, very difficult. Because they'll keep eroding any kind of continuity of good, clear, energetic mind. So that's one of the first things that needs to get taken care of is learning how to eat for yourself, learning what's really appropriate, and all those other categories. So what we've been doing today together, and also with Jamie, is very much about breathing. Not just breathing, continuity of sensation, which is an alive body. How do you know, a lot of people don't know, when they have aliveness. I get to see this all the time in in retreats, where after three or four days, or a week, or a month, people are looking absolutely radiant and say, how do you feel? oh, okay, but they, look, they don't even know how radiant and glowing they are. Yeah, It's fantastic to see. You need to get to know what your states are. You need to be very precise about this is what a good state is, and that can take years. Take years. There's so many views and concepts about what is right, what is wrong, and what doesn't matter. It all matters. Any questions about that?
1: Well, when you talked about breathing before, you, you tied it very closely with mind. Yes. So it feels like it's, it's really part of the meditation process. Some I I don't know for some reason I'm seeing it as is something slightly different from these others. But
0: no, well for instance, uh, food food is breathing. Now I'm gonna demolish all this. Food is breathing. What you ate what you eat is breathing. It's vitality. Hmm? Sexuality is all about breathing. Breathing's about eating, and sleeping is all but eating. For instance, you may be, here's something interesting, you may find you're not sleeping well. You say, gosh, must be something emotional, something must be going on. Actually, it may be the place you're sleeping in. As simple as that. Some places are not fit for sleeping. They're simply not fit. And the more aware you become, the less fit places are for sleeping. That's the other way this goes. The more sensitive you become, then you actually have to even watch it even more But also the more, then also the more strength you have to not care. If your energies are really, really purified and good, you can basically eat dust off the floor. But it may not be the best thing for you. And you may be able to eat McDonald's hamburgers for a week and still do really good yogic practice. But it's not really the most compassionate thing for your body or for other people to witness. As a teaching method, yeah, yeah. You, you may be able to eat, as my as my teacher often did, was eat uh, cheese whiz. We'd be on trips to Morocco, and the only food we could find sometimes in the desert would be cheese whiz.
1: Uh,
0: but he was a great yogi, and uh, we went along with the ride. But it wasn't necessarily the greatest long term food, or Philadelphia cream cheese. Uh, however, when we got to, to France, that would change or Italy. That would all change. The purpose, the thing is not to be obsessive. The purpose is to figure out what is optimal for your your, your organism, and when you can, optimize it so that your meditative work, your retreat work, whether it's in life or in a formal retreat, actually goes well and isn't being brought down all the time. In other words, support yourself. Those four aspects of life, need to be well supported. So let's talk about addiction for a moment. If we take the average healthy neurotic Western individual, they're highly addicted. They're a highly addicted being to certain things. To all those actually in some way. So one of the methods that's used in spiritual traditions, you've got two ways to go. You can either take a person out of their environment, which is standard method, take them out of their environment into another environment that doesn't have those stressors for long enough for the organism to physically change. This is the common method why we do retreats. We go from a very busy environment that's a, this is a stressful world, by the way, you know that, right? It's an incredibly stressful world. Even if you're retired and you fly to Paris one weekend and have, uh, you know, truffles and um, scrambled eggs uh, one weekend, and then you uh, go to Wimbledon the next, you know, it's still very stressful. Hotels are very, they're very stressful. You know? So, it is. Being in a car is stressful. All these kinds of things, they're they're actual real stressors. So, if you take a person who is a grasping, this is the way our life is, object, visual object grasping being all day long, object after object after 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 object, sensory overload after sensory overload, 400 emails, whatever it is, cell phone, all these kinds of things, and place them into an environment that doesn't have that, it's going to take time for the nervous system and the organism to settle out and find a relaxed equilibrium. It's not done in a day. It's not done in a weekend, even though it can feel good in a weekend. Okay? That's one method. The other method is more difficult. The other method is to develop enough awareness that in daily life, you can start to sort these things out. Most people can't do that very well. I'm going to warn you the odds aren't, aren't in your favor. There's too much information in our lives in the society to try to sort that out really clearly. I'd recommend all of you take time out to find out what your bodies really feel like as an adult. You see? When was the last time you actually went to a cabin somewhere with no electricity, and just ate and slept and breathed and read and enjoyed to find out what your body actually feels like without all this stuff. Hmm? Something as simple as that. It's important. Then we can talk about meditation. You know, after you do that for a week or two, we can then talk about meditation because there's actually enough settling in your being to start to go. God, I just feel good. I'm actually enjoying sitting by the beach or up on a cliff or under a tree going, this is lovely. Mm-hmm. Not having to do anything. I'm start talking about meditation. So for those that are in a th- therapeutic, I think you know this, eh? In a therapeutic role, the people coming into your office, the people you're seeing, are being bombarded with enormous stresses in the society. And you're having to actually try to shift that. Look what they're up against. How much, how much, how much effect do you have? What can you do? It's huge. There's a lovely, there's a lovely story in um, James Hillman's book, 100 Years of Psychotherapy and the World's Getting Worse. It's marvelous, marvelous story he tells of a therapist that he knows in L.A. And he has a client that comes to see him. I don't know if it's every week or quite frequently. And she has to drive on the L.A. freeways quite a distance, like an hour. And uh, he tells a story, the therapist tells a story of uh, she comes to see him and she's going through all kinds of distress. And he says, okay, well, let's let's review your early childhood, some of your early childhood material and so on and so forth. And uh, she's been going through this, and he's helping her with her anxiety and so on. It's been going on for years. And eventually, she says, I, I'm, we have to shift the times or something like this because actually I'm moving where I'm living. And she moves to a place that has a very short distance or very easy access to where his office is. And she drives. She guesses, I don't have any anxiety anymore. <laughs> it was the highways. <laughs> So so remember that that some of what you're going through is partly due to an environment of a modern environment that's extremely stressful for most people. It's very, very stressful. I mean, look where you're living. Toronto. Toronto. I could go on and on about those four topics, but I just wanted to bring that up for you, that this is an important, important one. Yes. It shouldn't. If you're an aware being, it shouldn't. Some people get worried. Okay, if I go into a retreat, it's going to change my life and I'm going to get really upset because my life is going to change around me. I'm not going to tell you what to change. You change those things that are damaging to you. It's really straightforward. The human organism is a wonderful thing because I really don't need to tell you anything. I don't need to tell you how to change eating, sleeping, breathing, sexuality, because the more awareness that you develop, and the more that you relax, and the more that you become a self-reflective, inquiring being, the more you're going to realize that that, whatever that is, is harming your being, harming your organism, and eventually, it might take you one or two or three years, you're going to make a change, hopefully. That's why I'm not very keen on long laundry lists, which many religions and spiritual organizations do, long laundry lists of things that you have to do and obey and follow. Why? Because if you're an aware, a really truly spiritual being, an awakening being, you'll actually, stru- you will actually drop and change and modify the things that's, that are harming you. You will. But sometimes it takes time. Beautiful, natural process. Yes?
1: How long will the retreat are you
0: talking about? Well, why don't we just stay together for a week here? Saskia, you can just book this on for another week, can you? Excellent. I don't have another retreat until next weekend. Fine, that's good. Let's do that. The reason I ask because the relapse
1: rate for the recovery you go out for a month or for six weeks or something like that is about
0: 90%. Can you say that again?
1: Right, the relapse rate. Yes. Someone who's dealing with substance abuse. Yes. And goes off to a residential center. Yes. The relapse rate is about ninety percent. For for what
0: six weeks or eight weeks six or? Six weeks. So it's yeah.
1: Usually a month to six weeks. Yeah.
0: And what would that say then?
1: Um, once they hit their back into their community, every yep. life, Almost as soon as they hit the street, they're back.
0: Let me. Can I tell you a story? Yeah. Okay. I was given an opportunity years ago. In the Canadian Arctic, to do a social experiment. And I based the social experiment on the principle of the three year retreat program, Tibetan retreat program. Uh, somewhere in 1989, 1990, I, got an op- I, won't, I won't go into the history, I got an opportunity to go capture a large amount of money from the government on behalf of a college that asked me to do this, to set up art programs. The college now wanted, even though I've been bugging them for years, the college in the Canadian Arctic now decided it wanted to deliver college-level art and craft programs to Inuit, okay? I went and I got the money, then they asked me to run it. Now, the way I got the money is I sold the government, the deputy ministers, on the principle this is going to be good for the economy. It had nothing to do with it. The experiment that I was going to run as, an, as a graduate of anthropology was this. If you can take people and put them in a really good environment for long enough, you'll change their lives. That is, you put them into an environment with really good people doing very creative things that give them good self-esteem and over time the physiology changes and they now know the difference. And when they go back, they actually go, I'm changing my life. Okay. So the first amount of money that we got was for three-week training courses all over the Canadian. We did 19 of them in a year, three weeks of craft program, basket weaving, ceramics, sculpture. It was all for economic purposes, but that wasn't why I was doing it. That was, my, that was what was written in the proposal. So that kind of worked a little bit. Then what I did is I said, okay, what we need to do now is three-month courses. So the college said, great, let's do three-month courses. I had to get the money. So I went out and I got the money. And we did three-month courses all over the place. And we saw huge changes with people, but I knew that's not enough. Where I was going was three years, because that's what it takes. So then I got enough money to do one-year training, one-year certificate training programs. College, remember? One-year certificate. And we thought, that will do it. Well, I know it's not going to do it, but that will get people started. So I got enough money to do one-year training programs, take individuals out of their communities, nine, ten people to a home, a two-bedroom house. Substance abuse, most of them in from jail, some of the murders, okay, substance abuse, rape, you name it, right? Took them into a structured environment from eight thirty in the morning till five o'clock at night, five o'clock in the well, it's nighttime in the winter, it's pitch black by three o'clock, into this environment with the best instructors, with the best mental states I could find in Canada, because we paid them a lot of money. I had my pick bring them up up to the Arctic, and they lived with us and they lived in the residence away from home for an entire year, almost an entire year. I was beginning to see huge changes, the ones that survived. I eventually got to extend it to three years. I broke all the rules, got to extend it to three years. The changes of those individuals were substantive for real a completely changed life. Why? Because the only way to really do it is you have to take someone out of their environment, away from all the stressors, away from all the triggers into a really good creative place where they can succeed and develop skills and and we're not talking about liberation, we're talking about social liberation, we're talking about relative mental health and liberate them out of that environment until they go back and say, no, we have a fantastic success rate. Only, only if they got past two years. If they got to two years, it was done, even some for some one year, but most of them, the hard ones, three years. Because that's how long it takes to tra- change, fundamentally, the physiology thoroughly. And that's been known for thousands of years. Okay? It takes three years to really fully change. We're not talking about liberation. That's for liberation, but that to really change a being who's got addictive problems and all kinds of these things, it's going to take time. And they have to be in a supportive environment with really good people and change that. So I see fantastic changes after a month of people in retreat. I see people actually having the first breakthrough to liberation in a week, three weeks, a month but for the stability of utter confidence in the clear mind of freedom. Longer. Longer. Yes? Starting with them younger, quickly. Always. But the thing is, uh, is when you're younger, even though you do a lot of meditation, a lot of spiritual work, you usually frit away a lot of time. When you get older into your 40s and 50s, usually your 50s, you've now calculated how many days you have left of your life. <laughs> Ever have that revelation? Yeah. You go, gee, it's only like a couple of days away. At which point, the afterburners go underneath your bum. And you get on with it. So I've seen people in their 60s and 70s do better meditative work than folks in their 20s who have all kinds of flexibility and they can sit in the full lotus and, you know... <laughs> like this and meditate, you know, for hours, but they're, they're, they're in fantasy land, they're fritting away their time, you yeah. Did you just take a picture? I did. Why did I say, why did I say yes to this? The next flyer yeah. So so yeah. So I've seen young people frit away incredible periods of time. There's a story which is true from the Buddhist time, is uh, a man who's 100 years came to the Buddha and said, I want liberation, and I wanna join the Buddha, I wanna, there's no Buddhism, I wanna join the order, the community of, of wanderers, Sangha. We said, okay, it's changed now, okay. But you have to get ordained. So the next ordination was with a whole bunch of 20-year-olds and teenagers. So here's this 100-year-old man in with these little, you know, uh. you know, and they're all laughing at him. He, can't, he doesn't move very fast. He can't remember his lines. He's supposed to memorize, you know, sort of thing. And they're all laughing at him, giving gears. And sure enough, in three years, he he uh, breaks through to full, liber- you know, to complete liberation. He's laughing at them, you know, at 103. Why? You get pretty serious when you realize that death is around the door. But the flexibility of a young person's mind uh, is tremendous. Yeah. Any other any other questions before I go on to visualization? Uh, Trish, visualization and breathing. Ah, I have a question. Yes. (laughs) But let's see if there's any other questions. Any other questions about this? I'm bucking the system, you know. I'm sorry, but I'm bucking the system. I get asked to do short weekend retreats. I'm doing longer retreats. I don't mind doing these weekend retreats. I really love them. I really enjoy it. I don't mind giving public classes, but my purpose is both to give public classes like this, but bring people along into an environment where substantive, real, physiological changes occur. That's my underlying, you know how they say agenda? My underlying agenda is to introduce people to what it's really like to do deep enough retreat work where the physiology not just changes, but the life, the nervous system changes not pretend for real. I come from a tradition called the realization tradition. That means we want it real. If we can't touch it, we don't believe it. If you don't walk the walk and speak the speak, we don't care what kind of wonderful meditative experiences you had. It's got to be manifest. If it's not manifest, who cares? I don't care if you've done 20 years of meditation retreat. If it's not manifest, it's not actually, if you can't, actually spread it and actualize it then who cares yes
1: um, could you comment on uh, maturity or, or when a young person it would be a good idea for them to come into retreat because I keep getting the, the, the sense that you know sometimes a young person might end up coming into doing practices without a lot of experience
0: in life and then begin to question and answer <laughs> No, no rules. Most young people that come near me, they don't get to go into retreat. Have you noticed that?
1: Yes.
0: They've got other things to do. Right, that's what I They need to learn how to make a really good cappuccino and a good biscotti, that's number one. And as my beloved root teacher said, you can't make a good cup of tea, you can't meditate, and you can't liberate. I spent a lot of time in my first years with my teacher In the kitchen from morning till night, washing dishes and cooking. Why? You have to learn how to function. You have to learn how to function. You can't function, you can't communicate. Uh, Good luck. All the habits that you do during the day end up in the meditation retreat. I'd much rather have someone around me who learns actually how to function as a human being and settle down and actually be clear and do all that than go into retreat. And a lot of young people today, and, and in the past. And you know how it sounds, you sound really old when you do that. And today, you know, it's really, you know, it's, the generations today, they're just, ah. Oh. <laughs> it's always been like that. Uh, they need help. They need help. Thank you. I wouldn't make a rule. It could be that someone who comes to see me at, at, at age 11, mm-hmm. I put them into a retreat. Right.
1: Well, I'm speaking in a general, from a, 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 like an umbrella. You're yeah, so it yeah.
0: An it's an umbrella but I, I, it doesn't mean it's a rule yeah. I, would, I look at every human being uh, differently and uh, uh, no, rule on that one. no rule on that one I like to see people function I like to see people be able to actually communicate function physically do things and, and know what basic principles of good living are before they start thinking that meditation is the be all and the end all Because if they can't do that, they can't meditate. Yes? Um, This is following up on
1: what you said about some places are
0: not fit for sleeping. Were you thinking of some kind of feng shui? um... Uh, People use that word feng shui, I don't. I just go, it just doesn't work. I don't even know why it doesn't work. I just go, it doesn't work. For instance, I'm I'm staying in a lovely, uh, beautiful apartment here, but you can't sleep in there. So it's okay. But it's beautiful, it's lovely, it's got fresh air, and so on. It's, for me, it's not a place where I, I, I get a rest. If I go to Galliano, so on, I get the most incredible sleep. There's places on the earth. It's not because there's any emotional disturbance. It's simply because there are places that are inappropriate. And the more sensitive you become, the more aware you are of how that, that is affecting your, you know. And it may be, for instance, you turn the bed. That might work. Or it, could, it can be actually just sleeping in concrete. All kinds of reasons. I've been in some of the most beautiful places in the world, in beautiful uh, hotels or re- resorts or retreats like this, and, and not had good night's sleeps. And then I'll move to another place the next day and I go, that is amazing. Absolutely amazing. It's amazing. Even across the street, even to the next room. Just changing the next room, one room over. There was a hotel I went. I drove someone crazy once. I think it was, wasn't Tucson. Where was it? You could, no, was it Tucson? I think it was Tucson. Arrived in Tucson one day to go to the Gem Mineral Show. And this is a long time ago. It was back in the, the 80s. And went to five different hotels. Until I found a room where I went, that's right. Five different hotels. I don't always do this. When I went... Okay, I can actually stay there for a week, but any one of these, I go, forget, it. I don't even want to be there for a night. Any others? Same thing with food. It can be the most beautiful restaurant food, but it'd be absolutely atrocious on your body because of the mental states that are making the food. So you may say, oh my gosh, the sushi, is so beautifully presented, it's so fresh. Why is my stomach so? upset. Why, why is it that I feel so awful? It's not just food. It's the total environment. It's the people you eat with. However, one more statement on this. If you keep harping on the food and the sleep and everything else in life, and you don't see that all events and states are like clouds moving through open space, then everything is going to be blamed on these states. Part of living is to let things go. Yep, didn't have a good sleep last night, too bad, carry on. I come from the tradition of a stiff upper lip. You know, keep a British stiff upper lip, who cares? Did you have food poisoning last night? Great. Function. It's just another state passing through. So you can get all tied up and try to get everything right. I will not do this. I will not be in retreat unless my pillow. I've seen that, you know. People in retreat, my pillow is not right for me. And the room and the food that's being served isn't quite right for my body. And actually, if I went somewhere else to that other retreat center where they have a jacuzzi, I, I, you, you know, you get into that. And that means that you're always fiddling the outer dials and not realizing that at some point, there are states. And the states are always transient, and they come through. Okay? But my point in all this is get a good environment for yourself so you're supported. That's what I'm saying. And there's a lot of environments that are not supportive for doing work. I got yelled at, almost yelled at in Toronto. Right, Patricia? Yelled at, two women were very mad at me while I was giving a public class in Toronto because I said in Toronto, they said, I was saying it's really important to get out of Toronto and get into the country to feel fresh air to feel a sense of relaxation, all those kinds of things, and to do meditative retreats out of a city. These two ladies put their hands up and they are obviously together and said, we don't like what you're saying. They were mad. We are warriors. We can do it in Toronto. I said, okay. They said, why are you telling us that we should go to the country? I said, because it's important to actually feel what that does for you. I said, it's very, very hard to do it in a city, to do this kind of work in a city. They said, well, we don't like to hear that. We live in a city, and we're determined to be able to meditate, and war- it's something that warrior through. I said, well, good luck. I said, where do you work? One, one worked in, a part, in, a, in an office building. I said, great, with fluorescent lights all day, uh, uh, radio waves going through them, uh, telephones going off. You know, I just listed it for them. I said, well, good luck. You have to be incredibly strong to be able to do that kind of in-depth work in a city. The Buddha said 2,500 years ago, don't set up retreat centers, don't set up viharas in any cities. That was 2,500 years ago. And what was the city? 3,000, 2,000 people with, 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 with uh, cart tracks? No phones, no cell phones? And he was saying, get out of the city. No. You have to support yourself. Breathing and visualization. Oh, sorry? Breathing and visualization. I promised. Yes. Okay. Any more questions? No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) What is the relationship between breathing and visualization? In theory, you can change your whole organism through visualization okay? in theory. But that's advanced work. Most traditions start with the body to reorganize the body maps to allow the mental changes that need to be done. Okay. When we come to quite advanced meditations, which we usually call Tantric meditations, right? which involve, one aspect is visualization, but they also involve breathing and they involve speech. They involve body, speech, and mind all knitted together. These are actually advanced complex meditations. Whenever you visualize your breathing, wherever you place your awareness, the breath goes to the place of awareness. If you place your total focus on the tip of your finger, you'll find that your finger will become enlivened. Do you all, can you all do that? Can you all, can you all do this? thank you. Yeah? If you place your total focus on the tip of your finger, you'll find it's gonna get warm and tingly. That's because I'm suggesting it, no, but it will. Get warm and tingly. And it's going to, after a while, maybe 20 minutes or 15 or half an hour, it's going to feel totally pulsing and alive. And for some of you, it's going to happen in two or three minutes. Did you have it? Right? Yes? Okay. Mm-hmm. This is the one that seems to me. Happy meditator. Happy, happy meditator. (laughs)
1: Looks deranged.
0: (laughs) A happy, happy meditator. What's that coming out of the top of his head? Oh, that's something. (laughs) Could you imagine if you had the visualization ability to visualize your body, your physical body, as open, joyous, fearless and full of energy, equanimity, contentment, presence, all these things, clear, vivid, aware, interested, so on. Compassionate and you're able to actually feel that. Visualize that, feel that and actually put on your body a representation of the of an ideal buddha body, Avalokiteshvara, Chenrezig, Mahakala, Adorje whatever it is and be able to hold that vision vividly for sustained periods of time. At least 20 minutes, 40 minutes is even better. You reorganize your organism. But you need good visualization powers, vivid. You need good concentration, and even more important, you need to have some experience with the empty nature phenomena, or at least the teaching of that, okay? When you focus on any part of your body, imaginary or otherwise, you're breathing into it and you're enlivening the whole body. So if you can sustain a vision of a hollow, clear body like a beautiful soap bubble, in your body, it's going to reorganize your nervous system, your immune system, everything else, and it's a form of breathing. When you conjoin that then with awareness of breath, it's a very powerful yoga. And then when you conjoin that with mantra work, with sound, it's very, very powerful work. Okay? However, To do that level of, to perform that level of complexity is called development yoga. Could you write on the board, development yoga? The, The work of replacing you with a vision of an enlightened being, okay, which is what's done in Tantra, for many people is way too advanced because it's too threatening, Even if you're into it, it's still too threatening. It's make-believe. What's the quickest way to transform you, become something else? It's the fastest way. Become something else. The question is what do you want to become? A peanut? Visualize yourself as a peanut. Visualize yourself as a loaf of bread. Visualize yourself as a cup of wine. That's very, that's, that's appropriate for today. It's Christian, um, visualize yourself as a flower. These are all good things. But it's actually far more powerful to visualize your body, <coughs> speech, and mind, visualize and, and embody it, of a form of an enlightened being with all the qualities. It's very fast. But it's not so easy because people don't want to give up themselves. Nowhere near ready for it. And the energies and the settling that's required to do that may not be there. So traditionally, before you do those yogas, it's very important that you go through a whole course of training that allows you to be able to have the ease, the relaxation, and the joy and the interest to be able to do that type of yoga practice. Okay, Because that yoga practice is completely dependent and predicated on the ability to become something else and if you don't have that you don't understand that then what you're doing is a complex visualization that really doesn't go anywhere it has some benefit but actually not a whole lot okay any other other questions so everything is breathing how do you breathe like an what's what's the breathing of enlightened being? Go find out. It's a wonderful question. Wonderful question. Don't read in a book. Go find, out. Go find out..:
1: So this morning when you were saying about you were going to speak of some things to do some activities before meditation, was it the four monsters?: Yes,
0: the four monsters. If these four monsters are all out of whack, then your meditative work is definitely going to be out of whack. That's why you came here this weekend. You're supported this weekend. Hmm? If you go home and you're eating junk food, chocolate, and whatever it is. I mean, if you eat good chocolate, it's different. and you're, you're stuffing yourself with Hershey bars and watching television or video and, and on a cell phone and trying to meditate, good, good luck. Yeah, A really advanced yogi can, or a yogini can, but hey, support yourself. So these four, these four um, monsters need to be liberated. liberated. Also, I'd like to remind you of something that the, the Buddha said and has been said for a couple thousand years over and over and over again is that if you want to tread the meditative path in a liberative way, in a really liberative way, I'm going to make a recommendation, the Buddha made a recommendation. When your car breaks down, where do you take it? Do you all take it to a mechanic? If your, car, do you, if your car breaks down, do you take it to a, to a medical doctor? Do you take it to an osteopath? Dhanam, do you get cars taken to you, brought to you to, to fix and to work with? Could you please readjust the cerebral fi- spinal fluid uh, in the car? Yeah, and check it out and maybe refill it? Does that make any sense? So if you're going to do something professionally or even seriously amateurishly, what do you do? Does it, what, what makes sense? You need to study or practice and get guidance from somebody that has a lot of experience. Otherwise, it's foolhardy. Why do we expect that meditation is something that you can open a book with and get a technique out of, like this? Oh yeah, I do this, got it. I sit down and do this. I watch the breath, and I watch the breath, and I keep watching the breath, and I I keep watching the breath, and I keep watching the breath. Man, I keep watching, that's been 10 years. Keep watching the breath, over and over again and expect something to happen. We're such a book culture and such a DVD video culture and YouTube culture that we expect we can actually get something as important as the wholesale change of our organism into a human human being from a book. It's been done for 2,500 years or 3,000 years from oral transmission by mentorship, not from books. Guaranteed. The books are to inspire you to find a mentor or mentors. That's how we do things professionally. Who here here has done something professionally? Who here has studied professionally? Anybody? Come on, there's more than that. Put your hands up. (laughs) Come on, put your hands up. You have. Come on. Professionally, did you study to be a lawyer? Did you become a carpenter? Did you become an actress? Did you become, uh, study professionally to be a senior citizen? Uh, actually, I've, got, I've only got, I've got two more years, right? A chef, whatever it is, a therapist, yes? A counselor? Where did you go and get your professional practice? Did you get it off the internet? Did you, did you do your professional practice off from a book? Just get a book and go, okay, now I've got it. And you send away and get your, I think to do that, eh? you get your certification. But how do we do it really well? We go and we study with people where we mirror, we mimic, we pick up, we feel how it's done. Hmm? That's how it's really done. That's when I did that experiment. In the Arctic. I picked the best people I could find in Canada. They were masters, and happened to have good hearts. Did two things: if I could phone them at six o'clock in the morning, and they could answer the phone politely, I hired them. It's true. It's true. Those are my two. Cra- they had to have a really good CV. I had to actually know their work, and they had to be masterful in their area. But if they could wake up at six o'clock in the morning because I phoned them, and they didn't say who the. And they said, oh, hello, good morning. I went, you're hired. If I could feel I could spend all day with that person in a room, they were hired. Why? Because I knew that that kind of mental quality was going to rub off by osmosis to the people in the room around them. And that was the most important thing and not Learning the technical skill. That comes secondary. Mm-hmm. Did you do that? Did you, was you test in the morning because it's just an opportunity, opportunity time to find out if they have a lot of anger? Or, yeah. 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 That's it? Yeah. I mean, and you if they've done a night or whatever. Too. You, you ever, ever, who's done interviews? Lots of interviews? Done, Lots, eh? Yeah. Ever done them over the phone?
1: No. Oh, well, yeah, I've done them before. Yeah.
0: Yeah? yeah? How many interviews have you done where people are just pretending? They're a completely different kettle of fish when they've got their resume and they're sitting in a room and you're doing an interview. Just wait. Just wait for later. My I've done hundreds of interviews. My recommendation for interviews, if it's an important interview, take them for supper. Go for a meal. Go for a walk. Don't ever sit in a room and just do an interview. Go find out what they're like. Because most people in an interview situation pretend. They want the job. They're pretending. They're acting. Go find out. Yes? With the four monsters, it
1: isn't sort of a do this first, then that, it seemed to me. They're going to inform...
0: Totally. Totally. Like that.
1: So the the more I can... sustain a, a retreat and be meditating, and then it, it can help my breathing.
0: That's correct. That's correct. Yeah. 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 Any one of these, any one of these four leads to each one. A complete understanding of sleep is a complete understanding of breathing. A complete understanding of eating is a complete understanding of any one of these right? Understanding breathing is sexuality. If you breathe really well, fully, you're a fully sexual being. If you really breathe, if you're a vital, alive, kind, loving being, right? Even if you're asexual, you're still a sexual being. Even if you're genetically asexual, it doesn't matter. You're a sexual being. Okay, the other side of development yoga. Most of meditation, all over the world, is loving-kindness practice. That's what most meditation is. It's how to feel good. That's the first thing, that's all the foundation of meditation, is loving-kindness. How do we get to feel good about ourselves and the world around us? Mm -hmm. Development yoga is how to become an embodiment of loving-kindness and compassion. Breathe well, feel good, and spread that out. Now, the thing is, you've still got a whole bunch of models hanging around about who you are, what you are, and who you should be. Okay? So the other side of development yoga, or of this visualization yoga, is called dissolving yoga, or vanishing yoga. Because if you remember from yesterday, I said the crux of the matter is, is self-view, or self Self always gets in the way. When you meditate for a sufficiently long period of time, a week, a month, three months, years, eventually you're going to find that the maps about who you are and what you are are going to start to slip. Every once in a while it happens even if you're not meditating, yes? Little things slip through. Oops, that doesn't feel like me. You know, somebody, your friend just. That's not like you. You They slip through. If you're going to make wholesale change, you need to let the maps about who you are, what you are, who you should be, where you should go, become so relaxed that you come to a point where you can feel the awareness of being a human being without being a self-referencer. without being a self-referencer. Because it's the self-referencing that tires out the organism. The constant self-referencing and making up a story about where you are in the world, who you are, where you are, who you should be, and that's the most important one for most people. That's the most devilish, most difficult, energy-consuming, neurotic-making statement that's in every one of us, like an affection, is, who am I going to be, is called becoming. I've got to be something. And if you're not something, you feel awful. What's the opposite of that? Counselors and therapists, what's the opposite of I've got to be? It's the suicidal individual who says, I'm going to destroy myself because I don't want anything. That's the opposite, and and, and that happens. The biggest drive of a human being is to become something, anything. Do you feel that? Anything, any kind of identity. This is the biggest drive you've got going. Because then what happens is, the statement is, if I become this, I will be happy. That's how it works. That's the internal dialogue that goes on morning till night and in the dreams. If I can only become this, I'll be happy. If I can only become that, I'll be happy. It's identity. What's it like to reside in the mind without any stories or identity at all? It's not scary. It's only scary if you are severely neurotic and fearful about identity. But once you relax that, you you could come to a realization is that the awareness can reside without any identity making at all. That is called profound peace. It's also called nirvana, or technically nibbana, or lukutra. That is the cessation of having to be an identity that remaps and remodels the nervous system, instantly. It's that powerful, it's that powerful. So the word yoga refers to that actually the yoga. The yoga is the dropping away of self-referencing to an experience of being without having to be some something, beingness. And then you find, of course, that that being has no substantial nature.
1: Could you say that last bit again? A bit
0: louder. The The dropping away, I'll just, whatever I said. Do you want, we, can, we, can, we can hear from the tape recorder. <laughs> the dropping away of the desire to have to be something, any kind of reference, self-referencing identity, leads to great freedom. It's called non-clinging awareness. That is like the removal of Mount Everest off your shoulders. That's what the struggle is, and that's where the suffering is. So, meditation is the relaxation, progressively, step by step by step, of the maps that rigidly hold the self-identity and the need to have to be something in place. And it's fiercely protected, right? It's fiercely protected, and if you go anywhere near it, as a therapist, a friend, a meditation teacher, a counselor, watch out. Watch out, it can be violent. If you threaten a person's identity. Because that, they think that's all they have. That model, whoever they have labeled themselves as. The freedom that comes from the discovery that the self-referencer is an illusory, constructed mental map that serves no purpose except for social and some other purposes, that you don't actually have to have it. You can operate very well without it. It doesn't mean you don't have to have an identity. It just means you know it's a transparent illusion. It's like lifting off a hundred million ton weight off a human being's shoulder and changes a life forever, instantly. Yes?
1: Not anywhere. Yes.
0: Does, because the organism, that's its natural state, does it happen on its own? Where the conditions are? Only occasionally, but very rarely. You may get glimpses of it, but actually for it to happen, you need to contemplate it. And you need to contemplate it by going and, and looking directly at it over and over and over again until the physiology shifts. It's like the physiology has to get used to. It's okay to let that drop. It's, it takes time. And that's where building the confidence
1: then
0: That's correct. That's correct. That's correct. Changing the, so for instance, I will rec- so I'm just being, I'm being facetious. So all of you, please, would you, would you join a monastery tomorrow? Would you become mon- monks and nuns tomorrow and live in that monastery? Therefore, it will lead to liberation. Won't. It's not the environment. The environment's the supporting circumstances. It's the inquiry and the question and the quest that delivers the being, not the environment. You can have the best environment in the world, and it will, not, it will lead to a peaceful, nice person, but it may not lead to a liberated being. It just doesn't happen. Very rarely. Yes.
1: Are
0: you, are you using self identity in the same way as ego? Uh, yes and no. What I'm being careful to do is say you're not trying to destroy an ego. Yeah. You're trying to see that the ego is a necessary but illusory constructed experience. So and, and an ego is a, ver- a healthy, loving, good functioning ego is a very necessary thing to have or you're going to be very seriously ill. (coughs) But if you don't understand that the ego is an illusory construct that actually can vanish and you're fine, then that's what's making you sick. The
1: next part of the question is, since... It seems to me that the majority of us are um, develop all these ego defenses as yes. children, yes. Uh, as tinies, Yep. Um, maybe even before that. Um, it almost seems like the purpose of existence is to become in, in encased in this ego and then find the way out. You know, it's like the uh, children's fairy stories of getting in and then finding a way out. Yeah. And when I think that, I think, well, how... It almost infers that, um, that this is like a, a test or a... What's the larger um, intelligence that has some purpose within that kind of
0: uh, This question gets asked a lot. Hmm? This question gets asked a lot and it's not okay. going to be... The question is about, really, if I may rephrase this, I can try, is why does this happen? Why does this encasing happen? What's the purpose to becoming encased in an ego identity formation if we have to break out of it? Well, if we don't have an identity, we will not have socialization, we won't reproduce, and we actually can't function. So you need an ego identity, you need a healthy ego identity to actually be a social animal but it has its consequences. Okay, and I don't want to get into original origins and all this sort of thing. It's all way, way, beyond, way beyond this. Okay? Let's take a break. Time for refreshment. Let's take a break, take a sip, and we'll come back and uh, do some more creative explorations.